Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. It is good to be together. I want to remind you that today the session has called a congregational meeting following worship. Both members and visitors are very welcome to attend. Um, I will be making a presentation. Chris Loftus, our treasurer, will also be making a financial presentation. Um, and then we'll open the floor to questions and discussion. The meeting has been called for the purpose of discussing the congregation's future viability in light of present membership and finances. Um, I want to let you know that I will be out of town this coming week. I will be back on Sunday for our hymn sing, um, and I'm looking forward to that. Bible study will not meet this week, but we will meet the following week. So now I invite you to stand, in body or in spirit, as we turn our hearts and our minds to worship. The Lord be with you. And also with you. With what shall we come before the Lord? What shall we bring into the presence of our God as an expression of our worship and praise? That's not what God is looking for. God has told you what is good and what God expects of you. Let us worship God together, singing hymn 126.
cannot come before God unless we are first honest with ourselves about who we are, about the mistakes we make, about how well or how poorly we care for others. Trusting in God's grace, let us offer our prayers to God. O Lord, our God, you knew us before we were born and called us to serve you faithfully. You delivered us from captivity and provided abundantly for our needs. Yet we have forsaken you. We have abandoned your way and followed false gods. We are like cracked vessels that can hold no water. We are skilled at doing evil and unable to do what is right. Forgive us, O Lord. Reshape us with your hand. Renew your covenant with us. Put your law within us and write it on our hearts that we may be your people as you have been our God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sisters and brothers in Christ, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercies are new every morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. As we have received peace with God, we now share signs of peace and reconciliation with one another. The peace of our Lord be with you. Please pass the peace with those you are worshiping near. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Gracious God, illumine these words by your spirit, that we might hear today what you would have us hear and be who you would have us be. For the sake of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. Our first scripture lesson is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, 
he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In worship this summer, we've been hearing from the prophets. And today we return once again to the prophet Micah. Micah is known as a minor prophet because of its size. It's a small book compared to the large books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But Micah's, Micah's message is anything but small. The book of Micah is a collection of sermons preached by one who is deeply involved in the plight of his people. In the 8th century BCE, Micah saw a nation of economic prosperity and of moral poverty, and a growing wealthy class becoming rich at the expense of the poor. In his final sermon of the book, the Lord takes up the case against the people. He calls them into court in an open field and calls them out for ingratitude and false religion. And then God issues a summons to pursue righteousness through right living. Hear now the word of the Lord from Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the case of the Lord, and you enduring for foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Micah 6.8, I saw some of you saying it with me while I spoke it one of the most memorable and timeless expressions of the ethics of our Christian faith. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. The instructions are straightforward, and they sound reasonably simple, but there's a catch. Simple doesn't always mean easy. Anyone who has ever tried a new sport or gotten a new piece of technology, knows that simple is not always easy. The scene that opens in Micah is a courtroom. The courtroom is the open fields of creation, and the timeless, immovable mountains are the jury. The first words that are uttered in that room are powerful and directive. Rise. The people of God are told to plead their case before the mountains. In turn, the mountains will hear the Lord bring a case against his people. And the charge is this, that God's people have forgotten God's saving actions. The next word to the people after rise is this, remember. When a threat is imminent, God wants his people to remember God's faithfulness, to remember the past. So God offers a self-defense on God's part. Is this my fault, God asks? Was I unkind to you? Was I unfair? The people may have broken God's law, but that is not why they have been summoned to court. The people are charged with breaking God's heart. Do you remember, the Lord says, who brought you through all those hard times? Do you remember when you were at your breaking point? Do you remember when you were alone? Do you remember when you were lost? Do you remember when you were forsaken and thrown away? Do you remember when you were covered in grief? Do you remember when you were so depressed that you couldn't even get out of bed in the morning? Do you remember? Do you remember that you sit where you are now, not because of your own actions or because of your own wisdom? Do you even know that your whole life has been grace? That is the only reason you are here today. Do you remember, asks the Lord. 
And so as Micah chapter 6 opens, the Lord urgently calls God's people to rise, to remember. People who have begun living their lives as though God's saving acts are not part of their story. They are told to stand up and recall. Rise up and remember, people of God, when we forget that this is not our will or our history or our tradition that gathers us here, but it is Almighty God who gathers us. When we forget, we don't know to be grateful for all of these gifts. We don't have room to be aware of the grace all around us. When we think that we must have been owed all of this, God charges God's people with forgetting, essentially with ingratitude for all that God has done. And that is what breaks God's heart. In verses 6 through 7, God's people respond to God's call to rise up and remember, but not by heeding that call. Instead, they seem to understand, to not really understand still what God is asking of them. They say this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with burnt offerings or with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You can almost hear the weariness in those words. What do you want from me, God? I am weary. I am stretched. What is it that you want? What will be enough? Do you want more money, a greater offering? Do you want more of my time? Do you want more people? What do you want? What will appease you? What will be enough? The trouble is that God is very intentionally calling them to rise and remember. There is a purpose in those actions. God is not interested in a quick fix or a doubling down on a tithe. Giving more is not what God wants. Yes, the Hebrew Bible has many rules and regulations about how one can come before God. But that system was not intended to be a ladder that you could climb your way to God by. Those things were never intended to replace the central obligations of being God's people. God's people are on trial because they are acting like God, forgetting who is God. They have forgotten who has given them their very life, and so giving more money or giving more time, making a bigger sacrifice, adjusting this and adjusting that, It's the wrong way to approach the problem. God doesn't want a little more. God doesn't really need the help. God doesn't need a handout. The only way to stop acting like God is to remember that God is God. By verse 8, 
Micah, the prophet of the Lord, is exhausted by their lack of understanding. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. Stop asking and acting like you don't know what to do next, Micah says. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is what it looks like to live a faithful life. This is the outline that tells the story, and each person fills in the details in their own life and living. What does the Lord require of you? Require can also be translated as seeking. What is the Lord seeking from you? What does the Lord want from you? It's simple, really. God doesn't want our stuff, our money, or our time even. God wants our hearts. And this is what that looks like. First, do justice. The Hebrew is mishpat. This kind of justice is the kind that settles disputes and makes things right. It makes things equal. Do justice. Make things fair. That's simple enough, maybe. And next, love kindness. The Hebrew word here is hesed. You may have heard that before. Loving kindness, faithfulness, mercy, steadfastness. It's the steadfast love that we sing of in the chorus after passing the peace. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. Hesed. In scripture, hesed is the defining characteristic of God. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote that it is born in the generosity of faithfulness, the love that means being ever-present to the other in hard times as well as good, love that grows stronger, not weaker over time. It is love expressed in gestures of help and understanding, support and friendship, the poetry of everyday life written in the language of simple deeds. I love that. Hesed, loving kindness, is essentially the poetry of everyday life in the language of simple deeds. It's the act of setting the table to share a meal with someone you love. It's washing someone's favorite mug so it is ready for them to use when they come over. It's the note card of encouragement that you remember to put in the mail. It's a thousand ways that you show mercy and care in everyday living. It's not a grand gesture, but it's a daily commitment to show up for one another. Those two ideas, do justice, love kindness, they're like two partners in a dance. But for it to work, we can't forget that last part. Walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? 
Walking humbly with God is about being modest or lowly. It's about drawing close, living ever aware of our connection to God. When Micah tells us what it is that God seeks, what God wants is that we will walk humbly with God. He is calling us to walk closely together with God. You know when you are trying to walk with someone, to talk to them, to get to know them, to spend time with them, you adjust your steps, you adjust your gait so that it matches theirs. If they're a fast walker, you try to be a fast walker too. If they're walking slowly, you slow yourself down so that you can walk at the same pace. You change everything if necessary, in order to walk alongside another person. The question at stake in Micah 6.8 is, how will what you believe change how you walk if God is your walking partner? How will it change where you walk? How will it change how you walk if God is your companion? Today, this congregation will have an important discussion after worship. We'll talk about where and how we are walking together with God. This room is not filled only with our congregation today, but it is filled with stories of justice, of mishpat, stories of mission and service and helping so many people over the years. Stories of helping people get on their feet after loss and after change. Stories of second chances. Stories of reaching out and walking alongside. And it's filled with stories of faithfulness, of hesed. It's filled with your stories, with your dad's stories. It's filled with the stories of the person who used to sit just over there, whose name you never would have known otherwise, and whose path you never would have crossed. It's filled with the stories of faithful folks whose names are on plaques throughout this building, and the names of those who have been long forgotten in this place. Stories of God's faithfulness, hesed, Fill this building. Today we're being asked to consider what it looks like to walk humbly with God. It's a conversation that I didn't know to expect. But what I'm learning is that in so many seasons of my life, that to walk humbly with God might sometimes mean adjusting my gait, or adjusting my pace. It might mean going down a road that I never expected to walk down, and it might mean changing a great many things. Just like the people that Micah is preaching to, sometimes we think that what we need to do is gain God's favor. And so we come up with lists of what we could do. It's tempting in any area of life, to name all the ways that we could just try a little bit harder, because we all feel like we could try a little bit harder. But that is not what God wants. 
God doesn't want something from you. God doesn't need more of this or that. God simply wants you. God fully wants you. Jesus was sent into this world that we would know how much God loves us, the full extent that God would go to to reconcile us, to plead our case on our behalf when we cannot. Because of Jesus, in every new season, we learn again to walk with God, step by step and in step together, learning again and again what it means to walk together. For those of us that want to live out this very simple-sounding instruction, we are invited to trust Jesus today. Sometimes walking humbly with God means letting go, finally acknowledging that we simply cannot do this work on our own, and trusting that because God is who God is, because of the stories of faithfulness that fill this whole corner here, that even now, when we feel like we must let go, we are not letting go of God, and God is surely not letting go of us. Our Savior will hold us, and sustain us and lead us into this new land that we have never been. That's what it means when we walk together with God. What is ahead might not be something that we can grasp, but it is something that God will give. And because of what we know of God and who we know God to be in each and every season of our lives, and in every season of this church, we know that the future is one of hope. As the words of Jeremiah have reminded us on the cover of this bulletin every Sunday this summer. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for your harm. To give you a future with hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand as we sing hymn 106. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4.
please remain standing as we affirm our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let's come bringing all of those concerns that are on our hearts this morning, the concerns of the world, to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, because we are not strong enough to pray as we should, you provide Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit to intercede for us in power. And in this confidence, we ask you to accept our prayers. Faithful God, you formed your church from the despised of the earth and showed them mercy, that they might proclaim your salvation to all. Strengthen those whom you choose today, that they may faithfully endure all trials by which you conform your church to the cross of Christ. Creator of all, you entrusted the earth to the human race, yet we disrupt it with peace and with, with when we disrupt its peace with violence and corrupt its purity with our greed. Prevent your people from ravaging creation, that coming generations may inherit lands brimming with life. Sovereign God, you hold both the history of nations and the humble life of small villages in your care. Preserve the people of every nation. Heal them of disease and protect them in times of upheaval and disaster. That all may enter the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Judge of the nations, you created humanity for salvation, not destruction. And you sent your Son to guide us into the way of peace. Enable people of every nation to accept each other as sisters and brothers, your children, on whom you lavish honor and favor. Merciful God, Jesus longed to protect Jerusalem as a hen gathers her young under her wings. 
We ask you to guard and strengthen all who live and work here. Deliver your people from jealousy and contempt that they may show mercy to all their neighbors. Compassionate God, your Son gives rest to those who are weary with heavy burdens. Heal those who are sick in body, mind, and spirit. Lift up this morning those who are depressed. Befriend those who grieve. Stay especially close to Chris and Tracy as they grieve Chris's dad's death. Comfort those who are anxious. Fill all people with your Holy Spirit, that they may bear one another's burdens. Eternal God, your love is stronger than death, and your passion more fierce than the grave. We rejoice this day in the lives of those whom you have drawn into your eternal embrace. Keep us in joyful communion with them until we join the saints of every people and nation gathered before your throne in ceaseless praise. God of glory, you see how all creation groans in labor as it awaits redemption. As we too work and wait for your new creation, we trust that you will answer our prayers with grace and fulfill your promise that all things work together for good for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it the world and those who live in it. With gratitude for God's faithfulness and with thanksgiving for all that we have received, let us bring our gifts to God.
O God, with faith and with hope, we offer these gifts. Use them even as you use us to accomplish your purposes in Jesus Christ, the Lord of our lives. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing hymn 43 in the Choral Spiral book, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Following the benediction, we will take a very short break before our meeting. So if you need to stand up and stretch your legs or use the restroom or anything else, please feel free. But I do hope you will stay for our meeting. As we go, go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. 
help the afflicted, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, walking closely with God, may you go with the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.